Welcome to the InnovaBuzz podcast, where our job is to help you build visibility, professional credibility, and connection with your ideal client by putting the human at the center of innovative marketing so you can build and strengthen an engaging, enduring relationship with your ideal clients. I'm Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz, and I'm honored that you're here with me. If you haven't joined our wonderful marketing transformation community yet, go to innovabiz.co and collect your free gift as well. Do subscribe to the show and also leave a review because it helps others find us. Let's get into today's masterclass on this InnovaBuzz podcast. Each of these is, uh, is critical in some way to uh, successful storytelling. The, um, you know, the three most important are uh, obviously the author, the audience, and the journey. The journey being you know, the story itself, the journey you're taking your audience on. Many people tell stories, especially commercial stories, based on their needs. That's not very important, or it's certainly not as important as the audience's needs. And you need to understand your audience before you're going to be uh, successful. You need to understand how to speak to them, um, what motivates them, you know, all of these sorts of things. Welcome back. I hope you've had an awesome week so far. Now, if you haven't heard my recent conversations with John Horn, the CEO of Stub Group, and with podcaster and managing director of Blackmore's ISO consultancy, Mel Blackmore, then do go listen in. They're really worth it. But stay here first. Listen to today's conversation before you head over there. I'm really excited to have on the Innova Buzz podcast as my guest today, Frank Rose. He's the author of The Sea We Swim In, and of The Art of Immersion, a landmark book on tech and narrative. Frank's a former contributing editor at Wired and contributing writer at Fortune. He now teaches global business executives as faculty director of Columbia University's Strategic Storytelling Seminar and heads the Digital Dozen Awards program at Columbia's pioneering Digital Storytelling Lab. Frank also speaks frequently on the power of immersive storytelling. In our conversation today, Frank talked to me about why we are turning away from advertising and seeking more immersive entertainment experiences. He explained how to be strategic with storytelling in a way that engages and serves our audience. And he explained what he means by narrative thinking. Without further ado, then, let's fly into the hive and get the buzz from Frank Rose. Hi, I'm your host, Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz, and I'm really excited to welcome today to the InnovaBuzz podcast, all the way from New York in the USA, Frank Rose. Frank is the author of The Sea We Swim In and also The Art of Immersion. Welcome to the Innova Buzz podcast, Frank. It's a great privilege to have you as my guest. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Jürgen. Great to be here. 
Now, you teach business executives in Columbia University. You're the faculty director of the Executive Education Seminar, Strategic Storytelling, and you also head the Digital Dozen Awards Program at their pioneering digital storytelling lab. So I'm really interested to dig into all things storytelling with you um, and how stories work in this data-driven world, which is what the sea we swim in talks about. So before we start talking about all things storytelling and how that fits into our world today, what's the impact you're making in the world, Frank? The impact I'm making in the world, well, uh, you know, I think at the moment it's uh, largely has to do with the work I do at Columbia. Uh, the uh, executive education program that I run is, uh, as you said, it's called strategic storytelling. It's about the idea of narrative thinking. And to me, narrative thinking is understanding the importance of stories, understanding the role that stories play in our lives. I think we tend to, as, as psychologists did for decades, uh, many of us tend to think of stories as just entertainment, uh, you know, uh, fun, but maybe kind of frivolous. Uh, it's quite the opposite. Uh, stories are, you know, really how we how we understand the world. We tell each other stories, uh, you know, almost from birth, and it's really influential in our understanding. Mm, yeah, and and we're kind of born storytellers, aren't we? Pretty much, yes. Yeah. All right. Well, you mentioned a couple of keywords there that I want to explore a little bit more. So what is strategic storytelling? Right. Well, um, uh, storytelling, of course, uh, we know, except that I find that sometimes people don't know. Um, stories are not just a, a set of facts. Uh, stories are not just a situation. They are uh, an occurrence that takes place over time. So time is very important here. And uh, they, uh, generally speaking, have a beginning, middle, and an end, although not necessarily in that order. And uh, they involve some kind of conflict, because otherwise uh, there wouldn't be any any reason to care what happens. And, and they involve characters they involve uh, you know people or perhaps uh you know humanoid animals or you know uh, other things like that that we can anthropomorphize but uh that's essentially what a story is strategic of course means you know long term uh it means uh, in pursuit of long range goals and that's what i'm talking about here with strategic storytelling i'm talking about uh, developing, I work with people to help them develop uh, stories about themselves, about their businesses or their work or their organizations that will, you know, serve them as sort of, a, a you know, an anchor uh, in terms of defining who they are and what they do. Hmm. Okay. Um can you give us an example of something in the uh, story in the public domain, whether, I don't know, whether it's from politics or advertising, that is a good strategic storytelling example? Right, right. Um, well, one I use is, uh, in the book is uh, Warby Parker as an example. Uh, Warby Parker, uh, of course, is the um, uh, eyeglasses uh, retailer, online retailer, direct-to-consumer, started about 10 years ago 
uh, four guys at Wharton um, who had this idea that they could sell glasses online. It was considered kind of crazy at the time. And this was really at the very beginning of the whole direct-to-consumer uh, movement. But um, uh, what had happened was that one of them had lost his glasses at, uh, in an airplane uh, in Chiang Mai in Thailand. And it was like the 700 pair of Prado glasses, and he couldn't afford to replace them. And then he started wondering why he had ever spent all that money on a pair of eyeglasses to begin with. Uh, and uh, the more they looked into it, the more they realized that the reason they were spending so much money on eyeglasses was because the entire eyeglass industry was controlled by an Italian company called Luxottica. It's basically, owned, uh, you know, it was very vertically integrated, shall we say, uh, covered the entire, you know, eyeglass business. So they positioned themselves as uh, as I say, selling direct to consumers over the internet. Uh, they would send you some, uh, some, uh, frames. You could try them on. You could send them back. Uh, and they would, uh, ship you the, the, the ones that you liked. And, um, and fill the prescription, of course. So that's uh, essentially what they did. But their story became essentially an origin story about who they were and uh and why they were doing what they were doing so their competition figured in it luxotica uh the uh you know the story about the uh you know losing the eyeglasses uh the uh, you know all of all of these things sort of uh became part of their story and that's um that's essentially what i mean by strategic storytelling the stories mm -hmm. that you know explain who you are and why you're doing what you're doing in 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 a way that's sort of you know long term the opposite of tactical yeah yeah i I really like that and it, I think you know those kind of stories engage with us at a human level one one of the things that a lot of the guests that I've had on my show i I admire you know the way they've gone about things when They've started a business based on a problem that they had themselves and they figured out how to solve that problem for themselves and then decided, well, if I've had that problem, surely many other people have that problem as well. So they identify who the target audience is, then they solve that problem for that target audience and scale up the solution that they've developed for themselves. And the story of how they've gone about that, you know, how they discovered the problem, how they uh, describe, you know, this is really annoying to me, so I'm going to figure out how to solve this, and then how they scale that up. That that's always a very compelling story, isn't it? Right, right, yes. And I think people increasingly want to know origin stories. They want to know, uh, you know, whatever they're buying. Uh, they want to know where it came from, why it's produced the way it's produced. You know, I think there's a, a really growing interest in that sort of thing. Hmm. Do you think it's important, um, though, with, I mean, folk, origin stories is one thing, but focused on the transformation that, that the business, the product is going to um, enable in the user of the product, in the client? Yes. Is that the, the more compelling story in general? Uh, I think it certainly can be a compelling story. 
Um, where it's not very compelling is when it just lists a bunch of, uh, you know, product attributes. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, if we're interested in buying any, you know, kind of product, there's no shortage of information that we can find out about it. You type the name into Google and you get hundreds of thousands of results in a fraction of a second. And uh, so uh, the... The old idea that you had to use advertising to, you know, tout your products and explain what was great about them. And then you would go, you know, people would go in and buy them. Uh, frankly, it never worked very well, but now it doesn't work at all. The other thing is, of course, that people are increasingly resistant to interruptive advertising, which is to say mm -hmm. advertising that interrupts what they're doing. So the idea of commercials in a, uh, you know, in a TV show, Nobody ever likes them. And, uh, you know, yet advertising executives fooled themselves into thinking that everybody sat there patiently, you know, watching them, uh, you know, what, where in fact, of course, they were going to the bathroom, they're going to the refrigerator, whatever. Uh, and, um, uh, so, but now it's, I think, much more important. You have to, you have to entertain people. You have to, you know, if you're going to take up their time, you have to give them something in return. And uh, so people who, in advertising, people who, you know, look at a story, say a short video, a 60-second, 90-second video, and say, you know, where's the cell? They're missing the point entirely. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, the cell is implicit. And if it were actually there, uh, it wouldn't be a cell at all. Hmm. Yeah, there's there's some really good examples that I've seen recently where that really plays out, where it's more about the brand positioning itself and and implying that if you buy my product, this is the feeling you will have or this is how you will be. And, and it kind of tells that story. It usually has, I mean, Nike is a great example of that. Um, and sure. often they use celebrities as well. So it's it's kind of like ordinary person puts on their nikes all of a sudden they meet a celebrity or they they can um throw three pointers at random into <laughs> basketball or or whatever it might be but it's kind of like you know all of a sudden uh, and they don't necessarily sell the shoe or talk about the shoe or the features or anything it's just that feeling of hey if i buy nikes i'm going to be like this guy right right exactly Exactly. There's a, a lot of brands are aspirational, uh, you mm. know, sort of in that way. And there's also, uh, um, a sense in which I think people want stories to, uh, you know, to, to entertain them, just to be, uh, you know, to sort of, uh, come across in a different way and to help them with their own identity. I mean, increasingly we have lifestyle brands, right? I mean, Lifestyle brands have been with us for quite a while. If you think about it, Harley Davidson is nothing if not a lifestyle brand. Mm. Uh, you know, it has uh, this outfit called the Harley Owners Group. And, you know, people go to rallies and stuff like that. Uh, so, so many, many times when we buy a clothing brand, an automobile, uh, you know, anything that reflects on us personally, we're doing so to, you know, sort of establish who we are. So uh, that's uh, uh, another place, a very important place where your strategic storytelling comes in. 
because that's how you position yourself uh, uh, in, in that place. Hmm. All right. Well, the second kind of key term you used at the beginning and, and the book kind of has or states or makes that promise that it's a practical guide to narrative thinking. So what what do you mean by narrative thinking? Right. Um, well, you know, the, the, the term uh, sort of owes a, a bit to the idea of design thinking, which, of course, has mm. become uh, increasingly popular in uh, the corporate world over the last um, 20 years or so. And uh, although it's been around for a while, it was really popularized by uh, IDEO, the um, design firm that's based in Palo Alto, California, and uh, Stanford Business School, which is right next door. And uh, the essence of design thinking is uh, it, it's a it's a you know designed to um, it, it's intended to foster creativity, but the essence of it is really uh, to give ordinary people, ordinary executives, say, the tools that designers use in order to solve problems, uh, to uh, you know give them the the mindset, if you will, of uh, of a designer. And that's what I'm taking from uh, the idea of design thinking. That narrative thinking uh, is about giving um, ordinary people or ordinary executives the uh, tools of a professional storyteller. Um, all of the things that, um, say, if you were a reporter or a scriptwriter, uh, you know, any of those things. Uh, all of those things that that you would use, all of the techniques and the uh, and and the knowledge that uh, that uh, people bring to those professions, and uh, with the understanding, and this is the other part of narrative thinking, I think, with the understanding that this is what's going to um, help you become a storyteller, and that storytelling is how not just telling stories, but listening to stories as well. This is how we define ourselves as people. This is how your your audience uh, uh, defines itself, defines reality. Uh, you know, our whole sense of reality is really based on stories, the stories that we tell ourselves, the stories that our friends tell us, uh, you know, all of that sort of thing. And you know, one thing that's happening now is that there are radically different uh, views of reality that are that are coming out because of radically different stories that are being told. Hmm. Yes, that's that's certainly playing out in lots of different uh, environments right now, and I think uh, maybe. I don't know. This is me speculating. Maybe it's when when we're put under pressure through something like a pandemic that that we're all facing across the world that it kind of pushes people into seeing things in in vastly different ways and and then behaving in vastly different ways because of the stories that they tell themselves. Right. Right. Yes. Indeed. And also, you know, we we live in a world, obviously, in which uh, social media affects very much the kind of stories that we that we get and um it's it's not just the case of a filter bubble it's it's very much the case of uh, of algorithmic uh programming that uh you know feeds us stories that are 
increasingly likely to cause a cause a response, and uh, you know one of the most basic responses is anger. So uh, you know there's this there's this joke about um, sort of three degrees of YouTube, uh, uh, right? The the idea that within uh, you know three YouTube videos that you see, um, you're liable to be subjected to uh, something by a, a complete fabulist, uh, you know, a conspiracy thinker, uh, you know, this sort of thing. And um, uh, somebody like Alex Jones. And um, so they actually tested this uh, and they found that in many cases, it's not even three degrees. You don't have to go the whole, you know, you can like two recommendations and there you are. Uh, so the, the fact is that social media companies uh, make their money by, uh, you know, people engaging with their content, uh, the content that they're running. And the uh, longer you're there, the more ads they can show you. And uh, so, you know, that's the fundamental reason, I think, for this kind of algorithmic programming. Never mind that it's uh, can be completely destructive to society, mm -hmm. to, uh, you know, our in this case, uh, our understanding of the pandemic, you definitely get the sense, especially at Facebook, that it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. Yes, well, don't get me started on Facebook. I've both <laughs> taken a complete diet from Facebook. I think it started about the time the pandemic started. So, <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I, I, I cut out my Facebook page about three years ago. Um, <laughs> haven't looked back. Yeah. Uh, going back to, you know, what you've just said in terms of, I mean, clearly the, some of the social media, well, probably all of the social media, but some more than others are feeding this, feeding this kind of almost manipulative style of storytelling for their own purposes, um, so that people stay longer on their platform and see more ads. Um, as marketers as business owners how do we use the insights you've got from this you know the the impact that that kind of storytelling and and manipulation has on people how do we use it in an ethical way to help our audience help our dream clients and and at the same time of course help ourselves to get in front of them and um, ultimately get more business yes right uh, you know, um, well, I think that's, that's again, that's sort of where strategic storytelling comes in. Uh, the, um, uh, the idea really is to understand, uh, to, to realize how essentially stories are an appeal to the emotions. Um, there's a sense in which we have basically two modes of thought. This was, um, this is an idea that was uh, propounded in the early 1980s by Jerome Bruner, who was one of the leading psychologists of the 20th century. And uh, he made the point that, uh, yes, of course, we have logic and reasoning, and that's one mode of thought. It happens to be the mode of thought that at that time, uh, most scientists, most psychologists had been focusing on. Uh, you know, as they say, they they didn't consider stories to be, you know, even really worth studying. Uh, and Bruner, um, 
you know, beg to differ. Uh, Bruner said, uh, you know, stories are a distinct mode of thought and they're just as important. And, you know, the thing is that while, uh, you know, logic obviously um, uh, appeals to our sense of reason, stories appeal to our emotions. And perhaps that's why, uh, or it certainly has something to do with why uh, scientists were so resistant to it in the first place. And, you know, emotions are very messy things. And, uh, you know, it's not something that you can, you know, put in a neat box and, and, uh, or in a test tube and, uh, you know, come up with a nice little equation for it. Uh, and uh, nonetheless, uh, there's, has been an increasing realization that, that emotions are, uh, key to stories, but also key to memory. Roger Shank, who was one of the, uh, leading AI researchers, artificial intelligence researchers, uh, in, um, sort of the last, uh, last 30 years or so of the 20th century. He wrote a book in which he, he wrote, uh, uh, essentially, human memory is story based. And that's what stories do. They give you, uh, sort of emotional hooks, uh, that, uh, that lodge in your memory. And, you know, there's something vivid uh, about that, something vivid in our experience of it, in our experience of a story, whether it's, uh, uh, you know, a novel that we read, a television show uh, that, that really appeals to us, or something our neighbor just told us. You know, this is, you know, in, in sort of appealing to the emotions that way and provoking an emotional response, it um, it also gives us uh, something to remember it by. And, uh, that's, uh, that's really important, I think. And there's certainly a, a critical aspect of narrative thinking, of understanding first that stories appeal to the emotions and secondly, why that's important. Hmm. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, you've outlined there some, um, ideas that sparked some ideas in my mind, certainly about how you know, we can use this in in an ethical way and also in, in connecting with people's emotion in a way that, um, and, and I think the example that you gave earlier, the origin story of here's a problem we had, this is how we solved it, um, you can relate to that straight away. You know, who hasn't left their glasses or it might not even be the glasses, who hasn't forgotten something somewhere and, and then later on, that, oh, there's no way I can get that back, and it's going to cost me a lot of money. And why didn't I? Why did I even spend that much money on that in the first place? Um, is is something we can probably all relate to, and so that's got that emotional connection. But it's also related back to a very real problem and a solution that's going to serve me if I'm looking for a new pair of glasses. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Hmm. One of the things I really admire in people that that um take this storytelling into their marketing um there's a bunch of folks i follow that uh, they write about everyday occurrences that they experience um so um what's a good example <laughs> i can't think can't think of a specific one right now but it's probably it would be out of context anyway but, but let's say a day-to-day -day occurrence that that's just kind of ordinary in some ways and yet they they take a lesson out of that and relate that back to their business 
um, which, uh, you know, the two are seemingly completely unrelated, but they've got you engaged in, oh, this is this is this person. You sort of get to know the person through the story and you get the connection. And it's like you said a moment ago, it's the memory hook that you then remember whatever it is they're talking about through the story. So how, how do I always wonder how do people develop this skill? Is this something that's inborn or, or is this something <laughs> that you can develop? Uh, well, it, um, you know, uh, it helps if you're born with it, but, uh, it definitely can be developed. I mean, uh, you know, I went to journalism school. I spent the, um, uh, most of my career as a journalist writing for magazines like Wired and Fortune and Esquire and so forth. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, there's definitely things that, um, uh, people can teach you about, you know, how to, how to write a story and in particular how to write that kind of story. But, uh, you know, really, it, I mean, I think what it comes down to is, you know, something else. Uh, you know, the idea that we, you know, that stories are uh, so important in our lives. Um, and I think that is what's really key here. And I think that's what's, what's key to remember. Um, in terms of how they work, it really has to do with... Um, uh, Scientists and neuroscientists in particular increasingly think that we understand stories by imaginatively projecting ourselves into them. Uh, you know, there's not definitive proof of this, but uh, certainly there's many, many experiments that point in this direction. And if you think about it, uh, it seems entirely true. I mean, why do we go to horror movies? Uh, you know, mm. why, why bother? Uh, we go there to be shocked and, and, uh, and surprised and, uh, you know, sort of to feel a sense of horror at the same time that we understand that we're really, you know, pretty safe. Uh, and, um, uh, but if we weren't projecting ourselves into the story, it wouldn't matter what was happening. You know, we would, we certainly wouldn't have a visceral reaction to what was going on on the screen, say. Hmm. Yeah, of course, the other side of that story, I mean, I, uh, I certainly understand that, that concept. And I think if you observe young kids and their fascination with, for example, superheroes, where they, they kind of right. do role plays of, okay, I'm this superhero now, and they do a role play around that, that definitely is like they're imaginatively projecting themselves into, into that particular story. Um, but the other side of that is, as as we grow older, is that we kind of imaginatively project ourselves into other stories that we tell ourselves, and often to our detriment. So how do we how do we find that balance? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Well, I think it's um, I think it's important to uh, uh, be careful. Excuse me, to be careful about the kind of stories you tell yourself. Right. Uh, <laughs> you know, my, uh, as an example, my, my, my parents were sort of connoisseurs of, um, personal disaster stories, you know, things that happened to people that were, uh, like really, really, really unfortunate. And, uh, you know, there, it's possible to savor these and cherish them and put them away and in your memory box and, you know, pull them out whenever it's uh, it seems appropriate. 
but it's something you have to um, unlearn. <laughs> you know, mm. certainly if you were brought up that way, uh, because it's not uh, it's not constructive, and uh, it's it's ultimately it's not really going to um, get you anywhere. Mm. Yes, uh, I think there's there's a lot of those examples where we probably have to unlearn some of the stories that that we tell ourselves or what's behind those, right? Right, right, exactly. And then there are stories that, you know, that we tell ourselves in, in you know, in sort of in collaboration with others or, or with reinforcement uh, from others. I mean, uh, you know, QAnon is kind of the ultimate example of that right now. Uh, you know, this sort of wild conspiracy theory that, uh, uh, I mean, I won't even go into it. <laughs> it's too ridiculous. But, um, uh, you know, there are people who are, you know, convinced that they are, you know, living in a world that is controlled by a cabal of, um, uh, of Satanists or whatever, um, uh, child molesters, uh, and so forth. And, uh, and, and they see everybody else as, uh, you know, not, not being aware of what's going on. The phrase is, I've done my homework, right? I, I, I know what's going on. You don't. Know. Uh, and, you know, you can see how that might be, uh, how that might appeal to people. Hmm. Yeah. All right, so so the message is do your own homework when you hear stories. <laughs> right, 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 exactly. If your homework is too stories. easy, it's probably mm. not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, there's there's two elements, and you, you outlined this at the beginning, um, that there's the entertainment and the information. And certainly, you know, we need to know how to separate that. For example, the horror movie, example i mean if we take that as reality that there's i don't know um people rising from the dead and going around um vampire biting others and so on um is is might be interesting entertainment it doesn't necessarily appeal to me but it might be interesting entertainment but to kind of let that seep into reality and some beliefs and influence your behavior is probably taking it way too far <laughs> right yeah definitely yeah. Having said that, I will go and get my uh, my garlic uh, my garlic little necklace <laughs> to make sure that now that I've offended vampires, I won't be um, won't be harmed as a result. <laughs> right, right, right. Exactly. You know, one of the um, stories that I became uh, very uh, very focused on as I was doing this book was um, was The Walking Dead, the television series. Hmm. And, uh, you know, of course, it's a zombie series. I'm personally not into zombies at all. I've barely watched an episode of this show, but I've, I've, I became fascinated in how it works and how, uh, you know, people uh, respond to it as a result. And one thing that I realized as I was um, studying it was, uh, there's this idea that I bring up in the book, uh, called the narrative platform. The idea of the platform is that, you know, it's not just one story uh, that you um, tell about yourself or your product or whatever. It's all of the stories that you tell and everything that supports that, including, uh, you know, what what 
if you're a retail store, for example, what color is your what color are your walls? What uh, you know, where are you located? Um, you know, what kind of soap do you have in the bathroom? There are all these kinds of uh, of things that sort of add to our story. And uh, the concept of a narrative platform is really that uh, if you have a powerful enough narrative and it's told in in many different ways at the same time on on different media, for example, something like The Walking Dead is told on television, obviously, uh, and it was based on a on a comic, uh, but it's also told on social media. It's told in webisodes, um, uh, spinoff spinoff TV shows, uh, you know, all of that sort of thing, mobile games, uh, console games. Uh, and it creates a way for people who identify with the story uh, to, uh, you know, sort of almost live their lives in it, um, you know, to, to increasingly immerse themselves in it. And the more people do that, the more powerful and, um, you know, commercially successful, uh, you're, you're liable to be. Hmm. All right. Well, the, I mean, there, there's lots of examples of particularly television shows that are long running series that have been going for 10, 15, 20 years. And some, on the other hand, you know, they might have one or two or three seasons and, and then they disappear again. Um, so, there's, I mean, obviously there's a secret to what makes these very long-running series and stories successful. Um, what are some of the things that are key there and that we can learn from and take into business? Because obviously if we're running a business, we want that long-term success, that sustainable uh, success. Right, right, yes. Uh, well, one thing I do uh, in, in The Sea We Swim In is... Um, Talk about what I consider the nine key elements of story, uh, and each of these is uh, is critical in some way to uh, successful storytelling. The um, you know the three most important are uh, obviously the author, the audience, and the journey. The journey being you know the story itself, the journey you're taking your audience on. Uh, many people tell stories, especially uh, you know commercial commercial stories. Uh, based on their needs, that's not very um, important, or it's certainly not as important as the audience's needs. And you need to understand your audience before you're going to be uh, successful. You need to understand how to speak to them, um, what motivates them, uh, you know, all of these sorts of things. Uh, and then beyond these these first three, the author, the audience, and the journey. Uh, you know, there's several that uh, are about bringing stories to life. Um, you know, character. Character is very important. Um, uh, the uh, detail is incredibly important. How much detail? How do you present it? Um, you know, the the answers, uh, the appropriate answers vary greatly uh, according to what kind of story you're trying to tell and what kind of media. But... Uh, uh, and then there's uh, uh, the idea of the world that the story occurs in, um, the, the, what we used to call the setting. Uh, the setting was, a, you know, is sort of a fairly basic idea of, you know, where does the story take place? 
what's happened as a result, I think, of this um, realization that we seem to understand stories by projecting ourselves into them is that you need to have some place for people to project themselves into. Mm. Uh, and that's what the idea of the world is about. Uh, you know, it's really about world building, which is a concept that's uh, increasingly uh, has become increasingly important in in Hollywood and in the entertainment industry generally, but uh, but also in uh, you know w- with other types of companies and organizations that have to do with stories. Hmm, mm, that's fascinating. There's and clearly there's a lot of um, elements to that that are very relevant in business, particularly you know knowing your audience what drives them, what motivates them, and the kind of messages that are going to resonate with them, what journey they're on and what environment they might be in and, and how you right. craft that story. Yeah. Right, exactly. exactly. All right, well, this is fascinating. Now, we don't want to spoil the book for everybody, Frank, so I think it's a good point now to move on to the buzz, which is our innovation round. And okay. it's the same five questions I ask of every guest. So the idea is that you'll share some tips from your experience that'll inspire the listener to go and do something awesome today as a result. <laughs> I'm not sure I can deliver that, but I'll try. <laughs> well, they have to take the action, but I'm sure you'll give us some great insights. What's the number one thing you think anyone needs to do to be more innovative? Uh, you know, I think it has to do with curiosity. I think you have to be mm. curious. You have to want to know more than you already know. You have to you have to want to know what's going on out there. Um, and sort of almost a corollary to this is uh, don't always have a goal uh, for this. Uh, the, you know, you don't need to have a purpose for uh, for being curious about something. Curiosity is, uh, you know, it's sort of its own reward. And mm. Uh, you know, you can, uh, by learning about understanding uh, things that maybe don't ostensibly have anything to do with what it is your, you know, your business is about or, or whatever, uh, you can, uh, you can sometimes get very surprising results. Um, you know, everything's connected. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And I love the, love the idea of, um, doesn't have to have a purpose you can just be curious yeah we were having i was having a conversation with my wife the other day now she had a purpose she she's been doing a lot of gardening and and planting vegetables and things and she'd been working in the garden and came back and said oh there's um there's aphid all over the the lettuce and what are aphid good for even so annoying (laughs) and i said well i don't know let's find out let's let's um have a look on Google, find out what aphid are good for. And then we learned a whole lot of things about the predators of aphid and um, what they eat and their life cycle and how to how to actually ethically or um, uh, organically combat them without hurting the predators that feed on them that obviously are our friends in the garden in this context. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, and there was no... There was no agenda on my part there. It was just, no, oh, it's interesting. Let's find out more. Right, right, exactly. Hmm. Okay, um, what's the best thing you've done to develop new ideas? It really has a, a lot to do with talking with other people. You know, uh, when you're 
you know, part of being a writer is um, you you spend a lot of time locked in a room with yourself, and uh, uh, you know that has its uh, useful moments. But but really, in order to uh, get ideas flowing, you have to you have to talk with other people who are you know who share your interests, obviously, uh, who uh, uh, you can bounce ideas off of. I mean, there's a there's a, I, I, I love phrases like that, you know, bounce ideas off. Right? Right. Um, uh, you know, that's, that's kind of what happens when you, when you raise an idea with someone who's, you know, who's interested or informed about the subject, uh, you know, it really bounces back at you. And, uh, and, and that's really key. But the other thing is uh, you have to listen to yourself. Um, uh, you know, as I said, you can't just, um, uh, do this all the time. But once you've had a chance to, uh, explore ideas with, uh, an idea with other people, uh, you know, you can't be too influenced, or I, I should say you shouldn't be too influenced by, uh, you know, their value judgments or whatever. You have to sort of come to your own conclusion about, uh, you know, say the value of what it is you're, you're interested in, the, you know, the worth of it, uh, the practical aspects of it, you know, uh, um, all of these sorts of things. And, uh, uh, so I think it's really twofold. It's, you know, talk with others, listen to yourself. Hmm. So, yeah, so the bouncing ideas around it often, you know, you talked earlier about different perspectives that, people have and the different views and uh, different lens they put on what they see so that that can play to um, advantage here in terms of having those conversations around the ideas but then the other side of that coin is if if you give me a, an idea that you have and you feel really strongly about it and I say well that's that's no good that idea that's rubbish um, that you don't don't give up on it because you do feel strongly about it right exactly mm. exactly yeah all right do you have a favorite resource you use most often um it's not so much a resource as a uh you know a, a mindset that has to do with uh you know what i've just been talking about here uh which is really about following connections you know this is it sort of follows from from being curious right you have to you need to, uh, in order to make these things work, uh, in order to make the world work for you, I think, uh, you have to sort of channel your curiosity, uh, in the, uh, you know, into, uh, uh, like wherever it wants to go. Uh, it's almost like water running downhill. Uh, but the point that I really want to make here is about connections. Uh, everything is connected, as I said earlier. And the more aware you are of these connections, the more successful I think you'll be. That's also where, you know, talking with, uh, talking with your friends, talking with other people comes in. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, we, we live in, um, uh, what might be called a, a you know, almost like a hypertext world. I mean, hypertext is so, 
ubiquitous now online that we take it for granted. But it's the idea of links, uh, you know, uh, putting links in in prose or or whatever. And uh, you know, if we if we uh, follow these connections and say, you know, a Wikipedia article, uh, we can spend hours in it. And uh, sometimes that might be good. Uh, you know, sometimes that uh, you'll learn something that you weren't expecting. Hmm. Yeah, connecting the dots. I think that's that's a real good skill to have is connecting the dots between things that on the surface might seem uh, totally unrelated. Um, right. Right. For me, that's that's where a lot of ideas come from, and um, yeah, just connecting dots across totally random things. Mm -hmm. Right. Exactly. Exactly. It's all about uh, you know, well, making connections. What it does is it uh, allows you to have insights that you wouldn't have mm. had. Yeah, insights. Yeah, that's that's a good way to put it. Right. All right. Now, what's the best way to keep a project on track? Uh, you know, I think to, uh, if, assuming you're working with other people on the project that, you know, you have to hold them to their promises. You have to, uh, you have to demand their best. Uh, you have to, uh, uh, you know, and obviously there has to be some kind of consequences implied or otherwise if, um, if they don't deliver. So I think, uh, you need to demand, um, excellence. And, uh, but in order to make that work, uh, in order to be, uh, believable in that, you have to demand it of yourself as well. It's not something you can just lay off on other people. Mm. It's something you have to be able to reach down inside and find in your own life. Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd like that, that particularly demand it of yourself first. Um, and, and that's, the essence of leadership, isn't it? You sort of behave in a way that you then expect others to behave. Right, right, exactly. It's not about telling other people what to do. It's mm. about showing, you know, being an example. Yeah, great. All right, and finally, what's the number one thing anyone can do to differentiate themselves? Uh, I love that question. I think it's all about being yourself. Uh, you know, we're all different. We're all the same, yeah. but we're all different. And nobody else is you. Uh, nobody else can be you. And, um, you know, we're, what, what that means really is that we're all the sum of our own experiences and not just what's happened to us, uh, but what we've made happen and what we make of this. What, you know, what, uh, lessons do we take away from it? Uh, and, this is where we all differ. And I think, um, if you are, if you are attuned to yourself, uh, I think this is a really important thing, uh, to understand. If you're attuned to yourself, then, uh, you know, it, it, it has to do with authenticity. It has to do with your not trying to be something that you aren't. And, um, well, let me put it another way slightly. Uh, another of the nine key elements of story is, uh, that I use in my strategic storytelling course and in, and in this book. Uh, another of them is voice. And as a, as a writer, you spend years trying to, you know, understand your voice and, 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 uh, develop it. 
And, you know, what it means is really the natural, the way you express yourself naturally. Uh, and of course it can be honed and improved, but it can't be, um, you know, changed into something entirely different or it shouldn't be in any case because that's not authentic. And, uh, you know, if you are, uh, if you are who you say you are, if you're true to yourself, then, uh, you will be unique just because you've had experiences that nobody else has had. Uh, you've made judgments um, from them that nobody else has made, uh, and uh, you'll be unique. Hmm. And, and the important point there for me is, is you know, being attuned to yourself and, and really doing that work to understand your voice, understand... You, know, you talked about the lessons from those experiences, so understanding those and lots of self-reflection. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Hmm. Great. This has been fabulous, Frank. I've really enjoyed our conversation. Now, where can people find out more about you and the work you do and also get a hold of your books, The Art of Immersion and The Sea We Swim In, as well as several other things that you've written? Right. Uh, well, um, a good place to start is at frankrose.com. Uh, and, um, there's, uh, information about the books there. There's, uh, a, a number of articles that I've written over the years, uh, for, uh, a wide variety of publications, including, as I say, Wired and Fortune. Uh, Esquire started off at the Village Voice, uh, writing about the punk scene at CBGB. Some of those things are there too. And, uh, um, so I, uh, welcome you. And if you want to get in touch with me, uh, there's a contact page, uh, uh, on the website as well. So by all means, I love to hear from people. Uh, as for the book, it's, um, available pretty much wherever books are sold these days. Um, uh, uh, it came out, uh, just a few months ago and, uh, it's, um, pretty widely available in certainly Amazon and other places, uh, both online and in stores. Excellent. All right. Well, we'll post links to your website and, and to some of the book um, places as well. Great. Great. Thanks. All right. Do you have some parting advice you'd like to leave our listener with today, Frank? Uh, let's see. I think the, um, the idea of storytelling to me is, uh, you know, it's something that obviously had its uh, roots in my uh, former career as a journalist and uh, that I got uh, sort of increasingly involved with, uh, you know, in, in sort of a meta level uh, uh, in the last few years. And, uh, you know, I think that the, um, you know, the things that we've just been talking about are, to me, you know, really essential. This idea of being curious, this idea of being yourself, uh, and doing the work to understand who you are. Um, and, um, it doesn't mean necessarily, I'm just, uh, I'm sorry. It doesn't mean necessarily accepting everything about yourself. We all have good qualities and bad qualities. And of course we should, uh, uh, we should work to try to minimize the bad ones. Um, but, um, uh, it, it means a, a certain level of, uh, you know, of self insight and of, uh, understanding not only how you work, but how other people work. 
you know, there's this idea of theory of mind. It's, it's one of the most important things that humans have, right? Uh, is our understanding, uh, sort of intuitive understanding in uh, most cases of, uh, you know, other people and how their minds work and what their responses mean. Uh, you know, without this, we wouldn't get very far in the mm. world. And uh, uh, so I think, uh, you know, I think these are the most important things. Um, be yourself, understand yourself, uh, but be open to other people as well. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Um, so really get in touch with yourself because that's, that's the first step, I think, to um, start to see other people in in a different light or start to understand other people. Right, right, exactly. Yeah, you need to develop empathy and um, one, of, one of the best places to start is with yourself. <laughs> and be empathetic with yourself, yeah. Right. Be accepting of your faults, but uh, at the same time you can work to improve them. Yeah, right, exactly. Right, what you said earlier. All right, now finally, Frank, who else should I get on the show and why? You know, um, there's a, another writer that I became aware of, uh, uh, right as my book was coming out. Uh, her name is uh, Annie Murphy-Paul, and she just uh, published a book uh, around the same time mine came out, uh, which is, say, in the summer, called The Extended Mind, uh, The Power of Thinking Outside the Brain. Um, this is it. And um, so I highly recommend it. Uh, it's... Um, uh, it's, it's sort of counterintuitive in the sense that we are, uh, you know, we're, we're trained to think, uh, think with our heads. Um, that's sort of how the book starts out. But we have to think with a lot more than our heads. Um, mm -hmm. we have to think in terms of our, uh, you know, the society that we live in, um, the, the, uh, you know, physical reality of the world around us. Uh, and we have to, take all of these things into account and, and uh, you know, sort of understand them. And that's what she means, I think, by the concept of the extended mind. So, yeah, I would, uh, I, I, you know, I think you'd enjoy her quite a lot. Mm, that certainly sounds fascinating. I'll have to um, check out that book as well. And we'll reach out to Annie and bring her on the show. <laughs> great, great. Okay. Excellent. Thanks. Thanks so much for sharing your time and your insights so generously with us today, Frank. I've really enjoyed this, learned a lot, um, really enjoyed digging more into the concept of strategic storytelling and narrative thinking. And um, yeah, all the best for the future and let's keep in touch. Uh, great, great. Yes, I'd love to. Thank you. I really enjoyed the conversation myself. I really hope you enjoyed that thoroughly insightful and informative conversation with Frank and took something away from his episode, something that you can turn into action today. There were so many takeaways from this episode under the umbrella of understanding ourselves, our audience and connecting with them at an emotional level with stories. I'd love to know what you took away from Frank's episode. Tell me in the comments below the blog post which you can find at innovabiz.co forward slash Frank Rose. That is F-R-A-N-K-R-O-S-E. All lowercase, all one word, innovabiz.co forward slash Frank Rose. 
You'll also find contact information there for getting in touch with Frank, as well as links to his website, his social media pages, and the other resources we spoke about in our conversation today. Frank suggested that we have a conversation with author of The Extended Mind, Annie Murphy-Paul, on a future InnovaBuzz podcast episode. So Annie, keep an eye on your inbox for an invitation from us to the InnovaBuzz podcast, courtesy of Frank Rose. I'd love you to leave a review on this episode because it really helps us get to know you and why you listen and ultimately helps us make the podcast better for you. Simply go to lovethepodcast.com forward slash InnovaBuzz to pick your preferred platform. And, of course, you can always follow the show by going to followthepodcast.com forward slash InnovaBuzz. Tune in again to the next episodes of the InnovaBuzz podcast where we've got yet more fantastic guests lined up, including coach and shamanic healer Kelly Rattany and transformational coach and trainer Skofre Nana Yor Yeboa. Thanks for listening to this episode. Make sure you subscribe to the show to be reminded of new episodes. It's free to subscribe. Leave a review if you like. Even if you don't like me, I'm okay with that. I'm asking you to leave a review because it helps other people find this show. Go to innovabiz.co to join our marketing transformation community and access a free gift my team and I made for you. It's the Marketing Master Mini Class. We want to give you everything you need to transform your marketing into a human-centered, relationship-focused growth engine. Until next time, I'm Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz. Remember, be awesome and keep innovating.